This is the Cameron Journal Podcast. It's a place where we talk about important things. It's a place where we bring a little slice of the news to you. It's a place where we do important things, have important conversations. It's also things that I like to talk about. My name is Cameron Cowan, and this is the Cameron Journal Podcast. Today on the Cameron Journal podcast, we are doing the final episode of our six-part series on all things fashion. It has been such a journey. I think we have discussed fashion from soup to nuts, from thread and world trade and major moving events to how things change over time, traditions, culture. It has been a tour de force. Um, to be and fair, so, we could also discuss it for another like 24 hours straight, probably because yes, that is also yes, this is just I mean, for us, this is the short, condensed down version that we spent weeks and weeks trying to focus ourselves so we didn't just spin off the rails. Um, so I'm I'm rejoined again by Brady McSlane, my wonderfully fashionable friend, and we're going to be talking today's episode is going to be about tailoring or why nothing ever seems to fit, or why men's sizes are standardized and women's are not. So if you have ever broken down crying in a fitting room at a store, not that we know anything about that, um, or um, you have wondered why you're a one size at one store and something completely irrelevant at the next, this episode is for you. Um, yeah, because we're going to break it down from an insider's perspective on the how and why um, of why that is the way it is. And we are both very familiar with this because Brady had her own collection for a long time and dealt with sizing and sizes and production and all that type of thing, which is very complicated. Um, and even more so when your basement is filled with boxes of clothes. Um mm-hmm. And which has definitely been her life, and um, and uh, and then uh, and it's also um, it's also something uh, where uh, when it comes even as clothing buyers, people who've owned a shop as we have, and all this type of thing, you know, trying to get people into things that were you no know, too big, that were too small, need to be let out, taken in, all this type of thing. Um, clothing sizes are are a difficult are a difficult sort of thing. So we're gonna dive in. And um, one of the things that people always notice when we get into this topic is like every year at like the big award shows or the Met Gala or other exclusive celebrity events, um, all these people come in and you have all these designers and they show their best work and it's all put on obviously conventionally attractive people. And um, and most thing, most people notice that everything fits really, really well. And then people thinking they can look like that trundle down to the store or trundle to the app these days and they try to go buy that thing and it never seems to fit as well 
on them as it looked like it fit in the pictures that they saw at the show. And most of the time with those kinds of things, um, a lot of times, so for the runway at Designer Mix It, a lot of times the ones you're buying are a knockoff of what it looked like. So you're seeing the pictures of what it looked like, but what you get well, and let's and let's also and let's also remember there are fashion comes in three major categories: haute couture, which is entirely custom. There's one of it mm-hmm. that's runway mostly. Yeah. Um, bespoke, which is semi-custom. You see this a lot in men's mm-hmm. suiting, where you'll pick out a fabric, but it comes from a standardized pattern, but it's tailored to you. That's bespoke. Um, and then you have off the rack or off the peg, which is mass-produced fashion that you'll find in most stores. Um, yeah. Each kind of layer down you go, the less tailoring there is, the less the less well to your individual body things will fit. Um yes. yes. And so um one of the, the the real key, and I'll just say this at the very beginning, the key to having clothing fit you, your body specifically, very well, the way the celebrities have it, is tailoring. That's this yeah. is Brady's whole business. This is what she does that's, all day, every day. <laughs> yep, I have so and, many. And, when, and when we had the sh- when we had the shop, we were able to sell a lot more clothes because we had thanks to Brady in house alterations, including the little Asian lady who bought a dress in that was a size eight and needed it brought down to a size two. <laughs> and yep. we, I'm digging. We made that happen for her. I don't know how we did it to this very day, but we did. <laughs> and, um, I've taken a, a wedding dress from a size 14 to a size four. Before. That's a lot. Yeah. <laughs> but she looked gorgeous in it. Yeah. So we were great. Yeah. I mean, this is, this is, and so, but there's lots of small, you know, things along the way where everybody's body is different and unique and before mass yeah that's one of the biggest things people need to everybody needs to learn and accept that all of our bodies are different and unique and beautiful so just because something says a certain size or just because this was measured for you or just because like that doesn't mean it's always going to be right for you no. And so we make it right. Yes. Or I make it right. <laughs> yes. And that is um and that is uh you know that is I mean us right at the front end, like that's the big difference between what you see there and and that's even on the runway, people forget those clothes are barely finished. Okay. A lot of them don't have fastenings zippers buttons not present a lot of those girls get sewn into those dresses and cut out of them when the show is over brady and i have done that we have sewn people into things and cut people out of things um we cut somebody out of a nose ring situation with a switchblade one time because that was the only way to get her out of the dress yes um yes that was that was a lot um and very painful as I They're not ready wear though. Like that's not No, no, that was a one of one. Yeah. Yeah. You don't you don't runway gear is, runway clothes are not ready wear. They are artistic pieces. 
Yes. That and, are beautiful and lovely. Yeah. But if you Not see practical. it on a cheap website, don't. Well, and, the, and I think and I think one of the things that I think is really hard about this while we're on this subject, <laughs> some of the things that get put on runways garners a lot of criticism from the everyday person on the street. Who would ever wear that? Where is fashion going? This makes no sense. You know, why would they ever do that? And it's like, here's the thing. And I try to explain this. Haute couture runway fashion is like R&D at a pharmaceutical company or an automaker. Nobody wants to go buy groceries in an F1 car, but the technology that makes an F1 car really great will eventually make it into a production model that you do want to go to the grocery store in. Like when cars switched from carburetors to fuel injectors, that happened first in racing for about 10 years Yeah. before it hit regular cars. There is a very big difference between what we use as fashion and what we use as runway clothing. Because the runway clothing gets us started. It's art. It is beauty. It is art. It is like the painting on your wall. That's what it is. And then it gets turned into something you can wear that's not so artistic as the painting on the wall. Well, and, so, and the thing is, and the, and the big the big companies, you know, the Gucci's, the Versace's, the Louis Vuitton's, mm-hmm. they have separate fashion shows for that. You can yeah. go on to YouTube and find a ready-to-wear show, you know, for spring, winter, summer, fall, and clothes. it is not nearly as insane. Some of the no. prints get out of control, but <laughs> the style, they're not nearly <laughs> as insane because they're they're already made for mass production. Those clothes are ready yeah. to hit store shelves for people to actually wear them and be able to sit down in their car and drive away with them. Like that's mm-hmm. it's a it's a total game changer. That's one of the cool things. There's this fashion show on Amazon with Heidi Klum and Peter Gunn, and because it's Amazon, what they do is they film the whole show, and then whoever wins that week, you can buy the collection on Amazon that you just saw on the oh, show. Oh yeah, I've heard about that. Yeah, it's I want I only watched one season of it, but it's a pretty cool show. And so in the show, they have a runway look and then a ready-to-wear look that immediately goes into production through Amazon. Yeah. And so it really forces designers to be both artistic and practical at the same time. Because you have to have you have to make a piece that is manufacturable. Right. Like not just a one-off you have to make a piece that's manufacturable so you have to have at least some knowledge about how to make it that way yes um, and and many people and don't realize that you know when if, if the runway is the r&d the people who make that ready for production are the the army of technical designers that take all that inspiration and everything they learned with cut and construction and all this type of thing, and they make it into something you can actually wear in your life. Yeah. Which is pretty cool. That's a talent, by the way. Those people are amazing. Honestly, I I sew for a living and I could not do that. That's just it's my brain. It yes, and, and, and not only do they do that, it they then have to get everything awesome. together, all the files, all the patterns and everything, to usually send it to Asia to be mass manufactured. Yeah, um, but you have to make sure everything is sized correctly, is measured correctly, all of that stuff. 
yes. So that is kind of one of the big things about fashion that people people forget. But I want to say that one of the things with when it comes to why nothing fits right and why sizes are the way they are has a lot to do with ready-to-wear clothing being a fairly recent invention. So before ready-to-wear, in the beginning, before ready-to-wear, all clothing was individually made for that person, either by a family member or a local seamstress. If you were royalty or nobility, you would have your own personal seamstress or designer to make custom-made clothing for you that would be made to your exact requirements and tailored to your exact body. So like, uh, you know, Queen Elizabeth I, everything she wore was haute, was haute couture. Hell, Queen Elizabeth II, everything she wore was haute couture. Like everything <laughs> yeah. was like perfect. I mean, Queen Elizabeth II had a woman hired to break in her shoes for her, okay? This is what you when this is what you get when you're the royalty. So, um so there were also a lot of reused garments. Fabric was expensive, so was clothing. The average person only owned maybe one or two outfits, even among the trading classes, owning multiple outfits of clothing. You had to be fairly wealthy to have access to clothes like that. Um, and- uh, a long time where people just, like, it, you'd only have one set of clothing. Yes. For your entire life. Yeah, I mean that, that was that was true well into the pre-modern age. Um mm -hmm. the the advent of of manufacturing made that a little bit easier. The advent of inexpensive of more inexpensive fiber changed that. That was the beginning of our run-up into industrialization. Um yeah. and what industrialization gave us with the cotton gin, the power loom, and the sewing machine, which was the most mm -hmm. crucial of the three of those, is you then could have um, clothing that was pre-sewn and and ready to wear right at that moment. No more made to measure. No, more, I mean, you used, used to go in the in the mid nineteenth century when you wanted new clothing, you would go to the store, like a Harrods or um, yeah, or or Old Temps in Paris, and you would go to the ladies of the men's department and you would select your fabric, your buttons all this type of thing mm -hmm. they would measure you would select they, the style from a book models to yes what it was and and that was true well into the 20th century they would have you have live models would come out to show the clothing mm -hmm. to prospective buyers and so you'd have a that book was of literally a job yes a, a whole job yes and so and you would have a book of styles like in a department store it was it was bespoke so you'd have a book of styles you would select your fabric you'd select your buttons your fasteners all this type of thing they would measure mm -hmm. you you would go away and then they would send it to you later before department stores you would go to a tailor a milliner separate these are separate things you would go to the tailor the milliner all this type of thing and you would select or your, your materials Yes, or, and it, yeah, exactly. Or if you're my grandma who grew up in Eastern Colorado, it was your mother and a sewing machine and fabric from the J.C. Penny I mean, and Ray, and that yes. That's how I am doing what I'm doing now is because I grew up with my mom and my grandmother sewing. Yes, no, that was that was I grew up that way too. I didn't have like store bought clothing until high school when my grandma died. I still have pictures of all the shirts my grandma used to make. And for longtime readers and listeners of my show, if you go on Instagram, I have pictures of my little teddy bears and they wear little clothes. My grandma made those when I was a child and they're still with us. Um, and uh, and if they ever, if anything ever goes wrong, Brady's going to have a very tiny tailoring job. Um, but um, <laughs> don't worry, I'll take so, care of it. Yes. Um, 
because Junior can't live without his suit of clothes. Um, and so, um, yeah, I mean, I, yeah, absolutely. I mean, that was, I mean, we go to get the pattern and the fabric and all this type of thing. And, and, and that was how, how it was. And that was how most clothes. And then when the sewing machine came along and you could do not just made to measure, but you could do clothing that you could wear right there. That was when one clothing got democratized to the masses. So people could have a few, not a lot yet, but a few outfits True. But then you also had to decide, well, how big to make the garment? You didn't have the measurements of the prospective buyer. So then we started having sizes. And I use that if you're not watching the YouTube version. <laughs> I'm putting air quotes here. Sizes. Very big air quotes. Because yeah. no two human bodies are really ever truly the same. No. And so what designers do is they kind of scattershot it. They decide what their ideal customer's body is and then build their clothes accordingly. Now, this is where it's nice to be a man. Our sizes, because men's bodies are much more standardized, wide shoulder, narrow hips, no muss, no fuss. Um, no. The, also, the other reason why it's nice to be a man is because most of men's sizing, at least in America and Europe, are done by measurements so your size is your waist measurement your length, neck yeah your yeah. neck your shoulders right whereas for women better. it's literally a creative decision and so if you go into a brand as a woman if you go into a brand and your body isn't the body type they chose to make clothes for you may want to shoot them and that's an entirely valid reaction <laughs> By the way, um, I mean, I don't know how many times I have had beautiful, amazing, gorgeous brides that have complained because their wedding dress size was an eight versus I'm always a six. And you're like, it's a, there's different sizing things, and you look great in this, and we'll just do a little nip and tuck here. No, I think they ordered the wrong size because I could never be an eight. And that's why I say you Money can't get caught up on numbers. They don't any mean difference. anything. No. They literally don't mean anything. They are randomly mean assigned nothing. by designers to fit the person they think that you might be. But it has yeah. absolutely no relevance to who you actually are. That's why I always laugh because one of the big scandals was that Mariah Carey asked her assistants to cut the sizes out of the clothes that she buys. And I'm like, so you're saying she's a woman. <laughs> I know five people who are not world famous that also do that. Like, So you're saying she's yeah. a standard woman <laughs> who doesn't want to be bothered by numbers. My Where's dear. the scandal? It's, like <laughs> the numbers, especially in women's clothing, especially like the numbers don't matter. It is literally an arbitrary thing the designers decide there is no yes. measurement there is no nothing to this this is just the designers like okay well let's see if we go up two inches we'll call it a 16 now like it, there's no standard so no. it which also works well into demoralizing women about their image which i think is uh, yes and and, and, the, and the sad thing is this varies wildly by rent so you'll have these women that be kind of like 
and this is all fake because all I will go buy four different pairs of jeans from four different places and they're all different sizes. Well, yeah, who, who, what body style were they designing those jeans for? Yeah. You know. And that's, that's another big thing with not just women's bodies, but men's bodies as well. Men's is a little bit easier because most of men's wear is a little bit more loose and leisurely. And But don't um, be too tall, trust me. Yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> um, but there's so much of that where it's like, okay, so do does my waist come in here or does it come in down here? Or do my hips, are my hips bigger than my thighs? Are my thighs bigger than my hips? Like all of our bodies are so different. And there's so much turmoil that goes along with shopping. Because I know most people don't like clothing shopping. They don't like shopping for clothes because everybody's bodies are different. And well, even on the men's side, men's sizing was decided by a bunch of people to make uniforms for the Civil War. And for better or for worse, all of men's sizing is based on an Irishman weighing about 140 pounds who's between about 5'4 and 5'8. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that is, that is the basis of all of men's sizing is on, is for that, like, that was the start of it. So if you are tall, um, if you don't have a wide shoulders, narrow waist type of body, which I never have, um, all this type of thing, um, buying menswear can be out. Now, to your point, it's a little bit easier because menswear tends to not be as tightly, tailored to the body and all this type of thing so you have a little room for flexibility which is convenient but um it is still something where even as a guy and i even see this among other dudes um you know trying to get things that fit right are comfortable look good all this type of thing is incredibly difficult and that's why i say especially in a professional setting if you want to look really sharp go out, get all the stuff, try it on. Excellent. Now put that all back in the bags, find someone who does alterations and actually get this stuff suited to you. And that will put you fashion wise, head and shoulders above everyone else. That's really the big deep dark secret. Yeah. Well, I did that. So um, a couple of months ago, uh, two of my nephews, 20 and 21, um were groomsmen in a wedding and they've never owned suits before uh they've never looked at suits before they don't know how to wear suits uh so took them with their mom who also doesn't understand how this works but i'm the fashion guru so um took them and got them suits and then made them come in and get them fitted before this wedding because yes they were close enough for a 21 and 20 year old, but not to my standards. So fitted them all up and um, they have all these pictures of them standing around with the other groomsmen and all the rest of them look shabby. The 
pants baggy are too pants. long, the yeah. are too big, everything. <laughs> and my two nephews look like they just walked out of New York, like just on point. Um, because it makes a difference. Yeah. Something and that this, yes. you makes a difference, and it also makes a difference in your confidence because I have so many. Older women that come to me as clients and they'll bring me these beautiful things that are like, I got this in Paris in 1972, but I've never been able to wear it since I was younger and I can make it fit them. And they'll just get so excited because all these beautiful, amazing pieces, because fashion is so much a part of yourself that you pick up pl things, places that you want to have them forever. And I can make them fit you again and make you feel beautiful in them again, which is the best part of my job is that I can make people feel beautiful. Yes, and that I, I always, you know, in my forays into styling and all that type of thing, I think that was one of the most fun parts for me was um, in the ladies section because I had I had a lovely elderly client who I did styling for and and we would we would do we got her some great stuff. Um, but even in the men's section, how many male customers didn't realize they could look that good? Until we put them in a Versace jacket, tailored it down and was kind of like, yeah, you can look like this every day. Like this is yeah, like, like this. Yeah. You know, sort of thing. Um, and it's it's kind of funny because um, I had it in the notes, like when ready, once ready to make came into production, it was easier for the common man to get something that worked for everyone. The unfortunate side effect was that in just a few generations, people got used to not understanding the importance of properly fit clothing. And although it's starting to come back, people started to learn that if you have something nice, like a suit or dress can make a huge difference, not only in how you look, but how you feel. And good tailoring can take you a long way. But literally the biggest style mistake most people make is not getting things tailored. And and mm -hmm. and oftentimes the only and we've talked about this. The only time usually people really get stuff tailored anymore is for bridal, and that's when you come in. Yeah, no, that's uh, literally. So you get brides who've never had tailoring before, you know, yeah. grooms who've never had anything tailored before, all this type of thing. Um, because that's one of the few times we actually spend the money, because the clothes are so expensive, it seems worth it. The only time we spend the money to do it anymore. Yeah, and honestly, I mean, I don't. I I can't speak for everywhere because I haven't done the research on that. But honestly, for just your day-to-day, -day, like, pretty dress or suit jacket or a vest or something like that, it's not that expensive to get it to look so much better on you than what it looks like straight off the rack. Especially um, if it's a quality piece, like if you've spent some money on something, you know, yeah. if you've gotten like I think if you if you if you cruise into Versace or Gucci or Louis Vuitton and you pick something up, oh my God, please go get that tailored. You please spent a hundred, eight hundred thousand dollars. Please seek out a great tailor right away and get it tailored. But because honestly, you'll you look good having on the rack. You like the store, you can look even you're better. Look so much better. <laughs> And honestly, I also have a lot of friends that like to shop for vintage clothing. I mean, this is also vintage. Um, vintage clothing. 
And it's like, you know, yeah, you could just wear it as is. But also, if you're picking out a beautiful piece that you love, even if you found it at the thrift store for 20 bucks, it's worth another 20 to make yeah. it look perfect. Absolutely. And to make Absolutely. you feel beautiful. And that's why I say it's the biggest, it's the biggest style mistake that people make. And it's one, there's a great, there's a couple great um Twitter accounts that cover this. And one of them is called Derek Guy, and he analyzes fine suit tailoring. And he he does really fun ones. Like he did an analysis of suit tailoring for the recent uh G20, or not the G20, the NATO summit. And he was talking about how like President Biden's suit wasn't necessarily fitted that well, but compared to all the other leaders, he was the only one that didn't have fabric gathering around his ankles. The pants actually stopped at the shoe like they're supposed to sort of thing. Mm -hmm. um, and there was also a great discussion about, and actually the tailor got on the thread and you would expect this, uh, King Philippe VI of Spain and how his and the actual so the the son of the guy who does the tailoring for his majesty the king fleet of spain got on the twitter thread and talked about how they use tools so that the lapel rolls off the chest right and all this ironing and tailoring and structure so that the suit looks a very certain and particular way and I'm like, of course, they're European. They would take the time. Um, but, um, it course. was all, but there was stuff that they did. I didn't know. I didn't know that when you iron, you should put something round so that the jacket rolls correctly. And that's the whole thing. I mean, I was learning stuff and I thought I knew everything there was to know about this well, subject. It, it, I was learning something kind of like, well, the King's Taylor would know stuff. So I should, I'm right? taking notes. Like, <laughs> it's like I, As much as like, I love doing bridal and I love doing wedding dresses. And I love doing just everybody's random shit. Um, but men's suits, I will still to this day, after doing this for 11 plus years, I'd rather do a wedding gown than a men's suit, fitting-wise, because they are just so much more particular. Not yes. the men, the suits. <laughs> um, wedding dresses. Yeah. I find easier because there's not so many things to line up and to make sure. Absolutely. No, and there's, there's even like how the jacket comes down, you know, down the stomach and to the hips, that area of the jacket's called the quarters. You actually can, mm -hmm. literally, I didn't realize this. You can change the whole profile of the suit depending on how the bottom of the jacket curves. And they showed how, cause King Philippe is very tall. He's like six, four or something. They make him not necessarily seem shorter, but more neat in appearance by keeping the quarters very short. So they don't let them big, so it doesn't look uh, it doesn't the suit doesn't look baggy. They make they keep it very lean and and have this silhouette by how they cut the bottom of the jacket. I had no idea till the King's yeah. Taylor came onto the Twitter thread, and I was kind of, and I was I was fascinated, you know, by all of this. We kind of like. Well, the next time I get a made-to-measure suit, I have some new requirements that I'm going to need to put in about. <laughs> so, I mean, um, I told you before, my my grandfather on my dad's side, not when I learned to sew from, but was a tailor, had his own tailoring shop. His father was also a tailor. Didn't learn how to sew from either of those, but I have some of his suits. And you've seen, like, I have, yes. the detail, the amount of, yeah, like, hand sewn button 
loops, buttonholes. I mean, like yeah. he was an artist and I've been doing this for a long time and I'm probably never going to be that perfect. <laughs> yeah, no, it, it's, um, no, that it is a whole, it's a whole world. And it's funny because you have people, and this is where you get into matters of taste, you have someone like Rishi Sunak, the Prime Minister of Great Britain, who is stupidly wealthy, but his suit is poor is poorly fit, which is sad because he number 10 Downing Street, where the Prime Minister lived, is three blocks over from Seville Row, which is the best tailoring center of the world. Like he could walk and get a better fit suit and just hasn't made the trip. <laughs> like, you know. Yeah. Um, and, and Savile Row, to keep in mind, if you don't know Savile Row is, that's the, the men's clothing street. Before we had department stores, if you wanted a suit of clothes in London, you went to Savile Row. This place is where Alexander McQueen apprenticed, if you want to understand the caliber at which Savile Row works. One of the best designers of our time got his start with these people. That's the level they're working at at Savile Row. <laughs> so um, they have... Um, amazing men's suiting and they also have lobe shoes the best handmade shoes in the world where they take a plaster mold of your foot and build a shoe to your exact foot specifications yes, amazing shoes yes the best shoes i ever saw i used to work for a guy who was from germany they came over after the war and before they left one of her his father's cousins made them all shoes handmade shoes german leather shoes those shoes were made in 1955. You'd never know it. They look new. They look like they took them out of the box yesterday. And I mean, every single nail is hand hammered. Every single stitch hand done. The leather, I'm sure, came from some very happy cow in Bavaria who lived a wonderful <laughs> life. And, um, I mean, just wonderful stuff and still perfectly wearable to this day. The shoes are 60 years old and they are exquisite. And yeah. very small, though, because they're very small people. They were malnourished from the war. Very small. Also, history, like older people, you know. Yes. Yeah, no, I mean, Peter at, at 70 years old was only 5'3". So, um, <laughs> and, and you can, it's always funny, you can tell his younger brother, Robert, was born in Germany, and they left when he was two, and Robert is 6'1". That's fortified foods. Um, yeah. Yeah, his old his oldest brother Horace is only five foot. Peter's like five two, and then all the sisters. I've met his whole family. All the sisters are short, and then Robert, the youngest, that was grew up in America with fortified food, six six foot. Um, so that's that's fortified food. Hey, I got to eat <laughs> exactly, exactly. And he also was born after the war and didn't grow up while we were bombing them. That really helped. <laughs> that, that 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 does help. I feel like that would stunt the growth. Yeah. Meanwhile, my boss was born in Poland, ten miles from Treblinka. So, that, yeah, but that, he was born in a town called Lublin in Poland, and it was it was the town nearest Treblinka. So, like they, he, when he was born, there were Jews being cremated in ovens just down the road. Mm -hmm. And as I was gonna say, there wasn't a lot of food around, which is why he's only 5'2". But long story long to say, the shoes he was sent to America with were wonderfully exquisite and beautiful and amazing. And it's, you don't, they just don't have workmanship like that. It's too expensive now. No one can afford well, that yeah, now. Well, yeah, because I mean, that's one of those things I try and explain to, like some of the people that come to me and are like, hey, so can you just make me a, uh, custom gown because i really don't want to spend 
a thousand dollars on a custom on on a gown from a bridal shop, I only spend like two hundred, but for the same dress. And no. I'm like, okay, so I do understand the overhead. However, I don't have the access to major manufacturing. I sew things myself. You do realize that my time and the amount of money we're gonna have to spend on the fabric is gonna be more than that. Like, yeah, well, because you don't you don't have economies of scale, and that's and that's made, doesn't yes. make it cheaper. Well, and that's the thing about ready-to-wear clothing and what was so revolutionary and while the industrial revolution made it possible is it made you were able to access economies of scale. So like when you have, you know, even something like a t-shirt, which I went low rent today, I just said t-shirt and some accessories, but um, something like this, when they buy this fabric, they buy hundreds of sometimes thousands of yards of it. You yes. know, the same color, dye, all this type of thing from the mill. They you cut know. it all out at the right same time. They yes. sew it all at the same time. Like yes, and a lot of it is is piecework. That's what wear means. Is yes, and so you done. get yeah, and you you get economies of scale that just isn't available for something you know bespoke. That obviously, I mean, bespoke yeah. can come from a standardized pattern, but it doesn't have the economy of scale. And if you want something truly custom, that's one of one, so no scale, you know, sort of mm -hmm. thing. Um, and it's not going to be cheaper for you to have it made. No, no. In fact, it'll be much more expensive. Anyone in America than buying one from a store, unfortunately. Yeah, you know, and that and that the, and the age of the age of fast fashion has made that worse. I have some notes on cut and construction that seem prescient at this moment. Um, okay. Speaking of economies of scale and cost cutting, it says here, one of the big problems with modern fashion is all the cost cutting. We own more clothes than ever before, thanks to cheap labor overseas, but the quality of the fabric is poor, I think, Shine, but also how it's cut and sewn. These days, it's all about keeping costs low. It wasn't that long ago that department stores, even JCPenney, offered in-store tailoring. Cut and construction is what affects sizing the most. There's only so much fabric in a garment and the pieces are only so big. According to designer Jean-Paul Gaultier, Every time you cut a fabric, you change its character. Which is, if you ever, if you want further listening on this topic, there's a great documentary, um, two great documentaries. One is called um, The September Issue, which is about Vogue September Issue with Anna Wintour. The other one is called The First Monday in May, which is how they do the Met Gala. And they followed how they did the 2014 Met Gala, which was China Through the Looking Glass. And um, and for fashion nerds, it's one of the last things Carl Lagerfeld did before he died. So if you want to see like one of the last big interviews Carl Lagerfeld ever did, who was the last person to know Coco Chanel personally, and he talks about that first Monday in May, go watch. Um, it's on Amazon Prime and others. It's on a variety of services. It's ag it's service agnostic. Um, you might even be able to find it for free on YouTube. I haven't looked. Um, and uh. And he and Gaultier talks in there how every time you cut a fabric, you change its character and how it is and how you are with it. And um, and that's even as something pedantic as ready to wear, that's still true. And that's definitely well, true as you go up the quality scale. That's one of those things that I, I know I've told you in the past, back when we were doing other fashion things, like yes, altering dresses and stuff like that like you got to kind of do what you're told to do 
but when I would make things when, well, I still do make things, but when I used to make more things, the fabric tells you what to do. It tells you what it wants. It has a language of itself of you'll be like, oh, I'm going to make this big poofy skirt out of this. And you're like, no, the fabric doesn't want to do that. Maybe it just wants to do a cute little A-line. Okay. Yeah. Like the fabric will tell you what it wants. And 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 fabric is a very, just like with a lot of woodworking or any sort of arts, it's, you change, just like you said, you change it every time you cut it, every time you touch it, it changes the fabric. Books are like that. Book book projects take on a life of their own. I can always tell I'm at a certain point with a novel when it has gotten away from me and it becomes a life of its own. Yes. Um that and, and then it starts and then things happen unexpectedly or opportunities present themselves unexpectedly or I discover things about characters I didn't know they could do sometimes good, sometimes bad. Um mm-hmm. Or a relationship dynamic is different than one might imagine. Um, yeah. Yes. And, and it's the I, same thing with fabric, with yeah. art in general. Because yes, passion absolutely. Is absolutely. Well, Brady, we've reached the end of this episode and the end of the series. Oh final goodness. thoughts, final anything you have. This has been such a journey. The preparation has been insane. We worked so hard and it's been a whole journey to make this happen. What, how do you feel? You've worked a lot harder than I have. I've mostly just worked on trying to get my computer to work enough to record thing. (laughs) But I have enjoyed this so much and just people out there feel beautiful. And if you don't find something else to make yourself feel beautiful. You should always feel beautiful. That is amazing sage advice. Thank you so much for doing this with me. Love you. All right, everybody. Um, If you, like I said, if you want some more, if you've loved this and you are sad that we're leaving you and you want more, go check out the September issue um, or the first Monday in May. Those are both really great fashion documentaries. Um, If you want a good reading recommendation, um, go read the biography of Coco Chanel. Her life is absolutely fascinating. Um, Crazy. Yes. And um, and also another one is uh, his uh, Yves Saint Laurent's boyfriend, Pierre Bruges, whom we have met. We didn't get into all that, but we've met him. We know him Um, and uh, um, all this type of thing. Um, He has written has written a great book about his late partner. Um, YSL who died in 2002 Um, those are both great biographies that are out there Um, I actually got to go to the Fondation de Yves Laurent in Paris which is magical and the Coco Chanel boutique which is also magical and the Balenciaga boutique which is also magical (laughs) Um, and And I'm so jealous 
Yes, and um, it was just, yeah, just amazing. Um, those are all great things if you want to keep the fashion conversation going. If you have feedback, things you want to tell me, all this type of thing, you can catch me on Twitter at Cameron Cowan, Instagram, same handle, facebook.com slash Cameron L. Cowan, or also on Pinterest as well, where I've done lots of great pins. I do pins for all my book projects, and I just did one for um, A Sweetgrass Saga, which takes place in the Antebellum South. So if you want lots of hoop skirts and weird designs, have I got a Pinterest board for you? Um, and then, uh, yeah, so we'll catch up with you next time. And thank you for listening to season three of the Cameron Journal podcast and, um, make sure to like and subscribe. We have the news hour every Monday and interviews with interesting people every week. So thanks for watching everyone. Love you. That's all for this episode of the Cameron Journal Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Visit us online at CameronJournal.com. We're on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And I love to talk to my followers and listeners. So please feel free to uh, get us on social media at Cameron Cowan on Twitter. And we'll see you next time on the Cameron Journal Podcast.